You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities and organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, Contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Good Wednesday morning, afternoon, evening, Thursday, heck, whenever you're getting a chance to to tune in and listen to this, I appreciate you guys joining me for another week. Uh, this is the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. <clears throat> 
for week four of Org Month, I am joined by Ben O'Brien. And Ben recently started uh, the nonprofit, The Hunt in Common. And I ultimately, the goal of The Hunt in Common is to pair um, new people who want to be involved in hunting in the outdoors uh, with more experienced uh, mentors um, in their area. Um, I've seen some some similar things, certainly not to the scale that what Ben and the crew there are doing. Um, it's been more kind of locally that I've seen it. Um, but right now the Hunt in Common is really kind of, I want to say, kind of testing uh, the waters to a certain degree um, in two separate states, Wisconsin and California. And if you're kind of scratching your head like, man, why those two states? Well, if you think about it, those two states could not be um, any diff- any more different from one another, uh, which is a great uh, area to really get started. Um, <clears throat> you know, Ben talks about one of the things with the Hunt in Common and what their goal is, is really just to take things slow. You know, you only get one chance uh, to do things right the first time around, and they really want to make sure uh, that they're doing it. And really, the the whole idea behind the Hunt in Common, I think, is one that's just really, it's great because it's getting people a chance to really experience the outdoors, learn about hunting, learn about, you know, woodsmanship and all these things from from other individuals who have had a, a you know, a decent amount of experience um, in the woods. And I think that you know, there's only so much um, that you're going to be able to kind of glean or, or learn from someone. But I think the the whole idea and, you know, that building that relationship with, you know, the mentor-mentee relationship, I think is one that is great because it, it allows the, the mentee to really build that confidence. Um, because as we know, the outdoors um, can sometimes be a, a tough thing to crack into on your own. Um, I mean, you can listen to podcasts, you can watch YouTube videos, um, you know, all these other good things. But until you're really out there in it, um, it's hard to to really learn. And the Hunt in Common gives people um, a chance to kind of get, get over that uh, entry barrier and get out there. So um, Ben and I, I mean, we cover uh, a ton of ground in this. And, you know, Ben talks about his past and, and kind of what led him to this and, and everything that he's doing. Um, and it's, it's, it's really just one of those good conversations. Uh, I mean, Ben hosts his own podcast as well. So, you know, he's, um, he's certainly familiar with, uh, with the format and yeah, just, um, a really, really great conversation. So episode 125 with Ben O'Brien, the hunt in common, uh, enjoy today's episode is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Hard Side Hydration. If you're looking for a rugged and dependable hydration setup for the backcountry, you need to visit hardsidehydration.com and check out their swig rig. And what the swig rig does is it converts any Nalgene bottle into your hydration setup. It gives you an option that's easy to clean, easy to access, and allows you the peace of mind that your hydration setup isn't going to fail you when you're in the backcountry. I mean, that's ultimately what led these guys to to starting Hard Side Hydration is having a bladder um, explode on them, I think, day two <clears throat> of a seven-day hunt. Um, so with the uh, with the swig rig, you certainly do not have to worry about that. So head over again. That's hardsidehydration.com. All right. Well, good morning, Ben. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Good. How's it going? Hey, man. It's going well. It's uh, We're nearing the end of the week. I'm hunting tomorrow night. I've uh, I've got a bit of 
tunnel vision uh, for for that. We've got a a nice big like thirty degree temperature drop rolling in here in Michigan, so uh, I'm excited to hit the woods. Yeah, I just got out of uh, two days of hiking hiking my butt off for uh, grouse one day, and then we went after Hungarian partridge uh, yesterday. And I was with Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater, and we had a, a guy from BHA who had uh, won an auction to hunt with Ryan and I which is always an interesting dynamic, but it was fun. The guy Dean came down from Canada and we took him hunting over the last few days. Poor guy uh, only shot one bird. <laughs> we felt horrible, but we got to run around public lands and uh, man, I'm sore. I didn't, you never think bird hunting is going to do it to you, but two days of just on your feet, 12 hours a day is, uh, is a thing. Yeah. How do those, I mean, I've obviously never been involved in, in kind of a hunt like that, like a, an auctioned or a, a raffled hunt or something like that. How do, What's the mindset going into something like that? You know, obviously, maybe just having talked to the to the guy or the gal a few times leading up to it, but then actually getting in the field with them. What's that like? Yeah, I mean, it was it's a lot of pressure. I mean, especially in this case, when someone is paying, you know, the money is it's, it's kind of this dualistic idea of like the money we know is going to a good cause. So we're not we understand that there's the mutual understanding that really the money was being paid, you know, to go to public lands, but. The, the benefit you get from it is to come hang out and hunt with us. And, and uh, so that puts the pressure on, man. And normally a hunt, if a buddy's just coming, you're just hunting. Right. And in this case, this person has paid for this and thought about this and clearly wanted to do it enough to, to flunk down some money um, to come and do it. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that it was worth it. And Dean, our, our guy that was the auction winner, he drove 14 hours from uh, Vancouver Island, Canada, and, um, you know, showed up and was, was as nice and, and thoughtful and like just understanding. And I kept, I kept saying, this is where I normally see him. This is where I normally flush grout. Famous last but words. I that, yeah. I was like, it was a should have been here yesterday affair. Like you sh- they're normally right here. <laughs> they just weren't there. And so, uh, he was, he, you know, he was Canadian. So you know how they are. They, <laughs> he was overly so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so nice about everything. Didn't have any, anything but hey whatever you guys want to do i'm here for it um so it was great but there is i put a lot of pressure on myself in those scenarios because you want to provide some kind of good experience and and make sure they come away kind of excited for the next one or or feeling like they did something really good with their time and money yeah yeah i can imagine um yeah when when all said and done yesterday you're kind of yeah you, you know someone spent you know probably a decent amount of money right to to be able to come down and hunt with you and ryan and then yeah that x that it, anytime you have that pressure when it comes to a hunting situation, like it's sometimes it's almost hard to enjoy it, right? Because you're always just worrying about the other guy, especially someone that you don't know, because you want them to, you know, have the the best possible experience um, that they can have. And I mean, that's sometimes hunting just doesn't go that way for us. Yeah, it goes to what we're going to talk about today around mentorship too. There's a certain pressure along with that as well when you're when you're teaching someone. Right. Cause you're same thing. You really want to provide them the experience. They've trusted you to show them the thing you already know and the thing that you really love and you're passionate about. So if you take them out four times and they never see a deer, it's going to be a hit, probably a hit to the ego at some level, but also, you know, you're, you feel the pressure to represent hunting, the hunting community, people, all those things. So it's a similar pressure. Um, luckily with Dean and I've never had any troubles with it, but luckily with Dean, he was so completely okay just to be here 
and to be in Montana and be hanging out. We had some beautiful mornings. Yesterday morning we saw pretty much every uh, every kind of wildlife you could see in Montana. So he was excited. Never seen an antelope. Never seen um, a, a few of the animals we saw yesterday. So he was he was excited and ate some good food and had a few beers and enjoyed ourselves. So um, yeah, a lot at more. The end of the day, there's experience. Yeah, there's experience to be celebrated too. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ben, obviously, I mean, you just kind of covered what you've been up to the last couple of days. I know we're smack dab in the middle of hunting season um, and everything like that. So I appreciate, um, you know, you making some time today to, to sit down and talk about the hunt in common and, and kind of go into some more detail with that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, like I told you, we've been coming off of uh, a lot of interesting meetings the last couple of days with the nonprofit. And, and it feels like it's kind of it's got this organic energy. That something I've certainly never felt uh, before. And I will say, you know, as we get to talk about what it is and how it came to be and all that, um, in my experience in our industry, which is getting to be about 15 years at this point, um, this is the, this is the most personally, you know, validated that I've ever felt uh, around a bunch of people. And these are people I just met randomly. Um, they're also, they just, some, when you get into the industry, and you know this at some level, you get in the industry, you're worried about engagement and downloads and yeah. things that just don't have a personal touch to them sometimes. And in hunting, is there's conservation and there's there's the personal experience of hunting. and You kind of have this weird battle between those two concepts when you're in the industry. And I've been there for, for forever. So Hunting Common has been a really cool way to kind of personalize what's good about hunting, hear people's stories, and try to help Um and to this point, everybody's, everybody's a volunteer and everybody is, is putting in their money um, because they believe in the mission. And, and um, man, that's a good, that's a good thing on, on so many levels. Yeah. So before we get into the hunt and common here, Ben, give people a little bit of background, a little bit of a background about yourself and what kind of led you to where you're at now. Yeah, I'll try to give you the short version. It's <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm a podcaster too, so I, I always joke with people like, you call me on the phone, I'm going to talk to you for an hour. That's, that's kind of the standard no, that's conversation. Good. That's a good thing. Um, but, yeah, no, I I, uh, I was a hunter growing up. You know, my dad started to take me hunting when I was 12. Um, and my dad's coming flying here this evening, and I'm going to pick him up from the airport. We're going to take my six-year-old and go uh, antelope hunting over the next three or four days. Here. Oh, right on. We're still doing it together to this day. And, um, growing up, I wanted to be a writer. I studied journalism in college, and um, I always wanted to be a sports writer. And I actually got lucky enough right out of college to become a sports writer pretty quickly. Uh, then I was covering, I'm from Maryland, so I was covering the Orioles and the Ravens and, and writing about them every day, going in the locker room. It was kind of a dream um, early in my 20s. I, but I quickly realized that job was no good because you didn't get to do anything. All you got to do is write about what other people did. Um <laughs> And you got the long hours and, and all the, the bad things about baseball, but not none of the good things. Um, and so pretty quickly realized that wasn't going to be what I wanted to do, which as a young man who's, wanted, who's kind of spent his you know, adolescence hoping to do that one thing, dreaming for that one thing, and that falls apart, it's kind of a um, – you don't know what to do, especially when you're that young. And uh, I had a buddy in a bar who just said, hey, man, I work for the NRA and I work for American Hunter Magazine. And I just got back from Africa hunting. And I said, how much does that cost? He's like, oh, they, they pay for it. I was like, what do you mean they pay for it? 
they paid for you to go hunting? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's my whole job. <laughs> like, that's can't. That's not a thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that's not right. No way. You, you mistaken. Uh, so we got to talking, and he said, "Listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to another. I'm going to another brand, and uh, you should apply for for my job. You you'd be qualified." Okay, that'd be sounds awesome. So I I applied and didn't get it immediately. They were like, no, not you. Um, <laughs> but like a month later, they called me back. They had a digital editor position um, that they were just starting their websites and that's kind of their digital. This is back when Twitter was just coming out for all you folks out there that think Twitter was always around. Uh, <laughs> so, so I applied and got the digital editor job, and that was kind of my, you know, thrust into the industry. And, um, yeah, since then I've kind of just been able to ride the, the wave of, of being passionate about it. I remember first time they came to me at the NRA and they said, Hey, would you like to go to Wyoming on an antelope hunt? Uh, I, I had the same reaction. I'm like, well, what's it, you know, what's the cost? Right. No, you go and you write a story. I was like, Oh, okay. That's cool. I'll do it. Sold. Um, and once I realized what our industry was and got to meet some of the people and just, just, uh, I just remember thinking, man, they're going to have to kick me out of this thing. <laughs> I'm staying at this for as long as I can. And so it's been, that's been, I was 22 when I got in the industry with the NRA. So, um, yeah, it's coming up on 15 years. And so I've, yeah, worked for some brands and done marketing, of, uh, including Yeti and uh, Duck Camp and some others, and worked for publications like Peterson's Hunting. Um, was the executive editor there. Had some good times and, and, um, work for the NRA of course so yeah a bunch of a bunch of really cool experiences there and got to hunt all over the world and got to, to create content I was passionate about and, and today I'm I'm out on my own uh no corporate corporate daddy <laughs> to do start my own media company have my own nonprofit. um it's a cool it's a cool time um it's about 30 percent terrifying 70 percent exhilarating yeah to go on my own <clears throat> I'd imagine there's um, times that terrifying feels more like 70 and the uh, gratifying maybe feels more like 30 just because branching out on your own like that. I mean, that's, it's always a risk betting on yourself, but when you're passionate about it, like it, it, it makes it a little bit easier to take that leap, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I've been, I've had a lot of experience and I know kind of what, um, what I don't know. And, and I've had, you know, working at meat eater, which is one company that I probably didn't mention there. Um, we were able to build that company from, really they wouldn't became an incorporated company three or four years ago until um, I spent three years there. And we, we basically uh, built that thing from one employee. When I left, it was 140. Um, wow. And so that, that really was like being a part of that thing. Um, really gave me the confidence that I knew what to do and the kind of things that I needed to do to, to be able to, you know, maintain the value of the content I want to create, then also just have a good time doing it maintain all that that same excitement I had when I was 22 and they were sending me off to go places I never thought I'd get to go um and so it's really fun to, to step out like that but like you're right man I'm probably being kind on the 70 30 split you just made a good point though about <clears throat> wanting to to try to get back to that 22 year old self of yours right like when when it was fun and you were able to go on, on these hunts. Now, granted it was, it was still for work, but I've kind of noticed that as you get older, as you kind of get further into your hunting journey, your outdoor journey, whatever the case is, that there's times where 
it doesn't feel as fun as it did when you first started. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean life happens, right? Family, job, all these things become a, a bigger priority um, as opposed to or a bigger responsibility um, as you get older in life. So the time to get outdoors um, can oftentimes dwindle, right? So you're putting almost like pressure on yourself to, you know, when you do get out, you you want to try to make the most of it. If it's a long weekend, if it's, you know, a 10 day trip or something like that, but that's all you kind of have scheduled for. It's, uh, it, it's interesting how that, that changes, right? And when you get older, you're like, man, I want to go back to when I was, when I was 22, when it was just fun. I didn't have to really, think about it. It wasn't a, a worry. It was just something I really enjoyed doing and I got to go do it, you know, all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being in the industry young and in the industry and I, all I want to do is create things. I probably a little bit abrasive because I just wanted to create things. And yeah. Somebody would tell me to slow down. I'd say, what do you mean? Slow down, just learn and slow down. I just want to, I just want to do things. But you know, I think, um, at, at some level, it's, a, it's, it's an important cycle for me personally. I, I think most people would agree that have kids is that when you, for me in the outdoors, when, when the industry kind of stuff lay heavy on me, there's certainly our industry is full of awesome things, but there are some drawbacks to being in the hunting industry and loving to hunt. I mean, it is, it's your job. Sometimes it's, there's political dramas, it's just industry back and forth. Sometimes it's not fun. It's not always the most fun thing that there is to do. And sometimes that money's the water, the hunt, especially, and I think most folks online will see this, like if you're sponsored or if you have companies that are expecting things of you in the outdoors when you're going out there, that even further complicates right. you know, your time outside. And so lucky enough for me, I have um, a six-year-old boy that is waiting for me at home that, that uh, or waiting for me to take him out of kindergarten, that is so immersed and so excited to do anything me and with his grandfather and whatever it is um that it, it seems like a, a appropriate cycle you know just just when i needed something that was fresh and new and inspiring to bring me back to what i remember when i was 12 years old my dad now i have this little little guy that just wants to follow me around and and wants to read <laughs> wants to read elf books before he goes to sleep at night and um and one just wants to talk about fishing all the time and so I think that's been that's been what has taken me back to this understanding that there there is this it doesn't all have to be complicated. It can just be me showing this little this little guy how I, what I love about it. And I asked him last night because he's he's been around some, some birds getting shot and some different things like that, but he's never been around um, an actual you know say an elk or deer or something bigger game, large. yeah. Yeah, and so we're taking him on this antelope hunt this weekend, and I just asked him last night. I said, "Hey, are you ready to see something um, get killed?" Because Dad, I'm going to use my rifle, and but well, we're going to go practice, and you'll learn about the rifle. He's not going to hunt at all, but I was like, "You're going to see me teaching Pappy about this rifle, and, and you'll see all that." But then we're going to use the rifle to kill an animal. Are you ready? Are you okay? Yeah. Expert. He's an expert pheasant grouse plucker, so he's just kind of like, "Yeah, I know what that's like." Um, he's like, remember when we made that European mount of your elk? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, that's, that's a dead elk, right? Like, yeah, that is. That is. So he, he kind of, he, he had this, this very nonchalant, you know, response to, to it. And so I hope that translates to in the field here this weekend when we just get going. But 
it just just to see him go through that, it just it just wipes my slate clean whenever I, I'm thinking of kind of the complicated, um, you know, political sphere of wildlife management or 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 the like. Yeah, it's amazing how kids do that for us, right? Like that was kind of the big turning point for me when I had kids. I have a daughter who's <clears throat> sounds like right about the same age as your son. There, just maybe a little. Uh, my my daughter, she'll be six in December, but yeah. she, you know, I was it last season maybe i i took her out deer hunting with me she knows she knows how i I like to hunt she she says she understands it i don't know that she fully you know can just grasp that yet i mean she's seen me bring deer home and she's you know touched them and all that good stuff and it's you know seeing the excitement when i brought her out deer hunting with me and it was a very short hunt right like we just we we got, I, I brought my bow with me knowing full well, we probably weren't going to see a deer. And I think she lasted like 45 minutes before she was like, I'm cold. Can we go in? We're out of snacks, all that good stuff. Right. And <clears throat> it's exciting, you know, from my standpoint, it just makes me wish, you know, can't wait for her to get a little bit older. And I have a son also, he's a few years younger than her. So he's got a little bit more time before he's really kind of, you know, gets, can get into it, but it, it just kind of changed my whole perspective on the outdoors on hunting and wanting to make sure like it, it almost gave me this like nostalgic feeling back to like, just like you talked about when you were a kid, when you were 12, when you first started hunting and it, it really makes me appreciate what we have so much more and want to do everything that I can to ensure that when they get to be my age or they get to be adults that, you know, they can enjoy these same wild places that, that, that I'm able to. And that's, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this has been like six years ago when uh, I got a call from Lance Bonnie and he, uh, he was like a lot longer than that, but he called me and said, Hey, do you want to be on the board, North American board for, for this organization? Yeah, man, I'm familiar with that much hunters and anglers. And, uh, and I love this idea of public land. And I just had a son. I was like, I just have a new son. And I hunted, I had just killed one of the biggest elk of my life on public lands. And I had this dream of moving to Montana, which is where I'm sitting now, which is still even crazier for me. Um, and I said, yeah, man, I'll do that for my kid. Like for my son, for my son. I will, I want him to understand the value of public lands. I have been able to hunt uh, in, other, in many other countries and see their systems. And, and I've gotten to, to read a lot of stories as an editor about other places and their systems and, and uh, since been able to meet and, and, you know, be mentored by people that help create our system, um, or at least codify them. And, and all of that puts me back in this mindset of there, there really is nothing, nothing I can do to honor this more than to, to teach my son and he's going to be able to see, he already knows that daddy has a podcast studio and dad goes in and talks about hunting and, and hopefully that'll give him a little bit of perspective of how much I, I care about it, how much I feel like it's not really, it's not really mine. I don't, it's not really a right of mine. It's a privilege that I have, um, specifically compared in, compared to other places. I mean, if you grew up in France, if you grew up in Germany, um, or if you grew grew up in Mexico. Grew up, I mean, there's just all these places where these these um, opportunities just aren't there. So, so my my sons will, being the, my, that their parents are from the East Coast, they're going to grow up in the West and the close uh, national parks 
almost 580,000 acres. Uh, and we, we spend all, almost all of our outside time there. We spend it at its mountain lake fishing. We spend it foraging for mushrooms and berries and whatever else we can find. We spend it hunting. We just spend all this time there. It's kind of like part of our family. It's the thing that we do. Um, and so these little bastards are probably, I'm going to have to be like, you don't know what like not to have. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what the struggle's like. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't know what it's like to have like, to not have this. You know, to not understand or to only have 40 acres to hunt or to only have you you're not gonna know what this is like you're not gonna understand what most other uh, folks around the world in this country understand so so there certainly is like there's there's just so much baked into that cake that that keeps me going too it's just, it's just, it's just i've had and i've had so many people marcus tell me just from me talking about my sons that they found a new what, excitement to take their kid out or to that try to better understand like why, um, why their son or daughter is, you know, wasn't interested in the outdoors and how to like slowly introduce it to them and, and figure out if it was something that they would enjoy and would love to do. So, so that part of it is, is also damn, damn exciting and, and fun and gets me up in the morning. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. So Benny, tell me about the hunt in common, like to kind of, you know what the what the organization is what their mission is and, and kind of really what the process looked like to to get to to the point where you're at yeah this is a is, is the most unexpected thing i've ever that ever happened to me probably my professional life for sure um we had so i had a, a podcast you know nearing the end of my media to run um well you know i was a couple of years into my podcast uh, the hunting collective and we had it would have been march say march february march um of 21 i want to say I'm, if i get this wrong apologies <laughs> our org um i had we had a we were running that show and we had an email from this guy named juan carlos who's from the dominican republic and he was uh living in the blue ridge mountains of virginia north carolina and he wrote in wrote this long beautiful email about how he had moved to america and, and wanted to learn to hunt and and I often read emails on the show, so I read this email um, and just asked, hey, if anybody wants to, I'm not going to give this guy's contact info out, but if anybody wants to mentor him in the mountains, shoot me a note, <clears throat> email at the show, and we will connect you guys. We'll make, we'll make this connection for you, and we'll help you get where you need to go. And so a couple days later, I checked the inbox, and there's 50 emails in there. Wow. From people in that, yeah, in that portion of the world that want to help Juan uh, Carlos. And so next episode, I went on. I said, thank you to everybody. Uh, I think Juan Carlos is going to be well handled. <laughs> He's probably going to have 30 people follow him around the woods this fall. Um, and I just made kind of an off-color comment that that's our, this is our first chapter. Of the, for the Blue Ridge chapters, our inaugural chapter of the hunting collection. Just kind of as a joke. Um, and next thing I knew, it wasn't weeks later, that there was people were actually starting their own group. There was people starting groups on Discord, which is an app, you know, kind of communication app, mm-hmm. Facebook, and a bunch of other places. People started emailing me saying, "Hey, I started a, a Facebook page, and I'm I'm going to mentor people." And thanks for the inspiration. And that chatter got got heavy enough that I thought, "Man, I better I better do something <laughs> uh, out there. I, I better not just let this let this roll on. I I wonder if I can organize it." Um, and so, yeah, one of the other episodes I went on, I said, if you would like to be a leader of a, a chapter, um, 
email me and we'll we'll try to organize state chapters we'll just make facebook pages and we'll do that we'll, we'll try to organize this because this is really damn cool and so um we did that and i got i don't know how many hundreds of emails and we had i think 41 state chapters overnight wow uh, people that have raised their hand so i picked 41 people and i sent them all like a mass email and said hey this is what we're going to do start this facebook page and just start telling your friends and and and, and promoting it and you can be the chapter leader and we'll just see where this goes who the hell you know this is kind of started as a joke but i mean you all seem very passionate about it so let's let's do it and then a couple months later uh we ended the hunting collective the mediator ended the hunting collective they asked me to quit doing it in favor of doing other things within the org and so that was kind of it was kind of like wait a minute we just started this thing yeah uh, already talked about it so that was a uh, that was a bummer but in the in that summer after you know it ended in may so over that summer these guys kept going and they kept it was kind of like we're doing this without you (laughs) you know if you're if you're too busy with your new job at mediator uh we'll do this without you was their framing and i said well no i'm not gonna let that happen i want to be involved in this pretty damn exciting um and then later that year i left mediator um and we decided to, to file for our 501c3 we got that November, past November, um, and since then we have raised money all from those original leaders. Um, we're, I think we have still those 41 or 42 pages. There's about 5,000 people across those pages. Um, we've raised money from those individuals uh, to build a website, to build social media channels, to build logos and brand identities for the hunting collective or the hunting the hunt in common. And also, I will say that as we got going and the hunting collective was, was over, these guys were like, we want to maintain something about where we came from. Right. And so they they had the idea to keep THC, which is the acronym, so they came up with hunting common. Um, I'll have to figure out, I can't remember who came up with it. It wasn't me um, to give them credit. But we when I heard it, I was like, man, that is, that is pretty cool. Um, and so that came out organically kind of all happened organically people were we had a, a couple of meetings we went to doug Dern's farm in wisconsin and had our initial like campfire meeting between the folks that we had named as officers um and those folks are are some of my favorite people now um i, I call them they are true friends we have um john from wisconsin who's a salesman for aramark we have nuri in, in la who is nuri hong who's a, a new hunter He's in his early 40s. He's got a family, and he lives in Los Angeles, and, he, and he's a biotech entrepreneur. Like he's a big biotech guy, and he just had never hunted before. He came from an Asian-American family. There was no culture of hunting at all. His family, parents, wife, kids, they have no interest in hunting. But he, through us, just decided he wanted to go hunting. And um, one, of our, one of our other officers, his name is Jordan Rigsby, Jordan is a former NFL player. He played, they played on the Titans. He was an offensive lineman, but he played at Cal. Um, he is literally the opposite of Murray. Murray's like this slight, you know, well kept, you know, LA guy. He drove his Audi up the 405 to meet us one time for hunting in Chico, where Jordan is from. Jordan's this giant human, um, very He's gregarious. An, yeah. Yeah. He's an old lineman. Yeah, I yeah. get it. 
he's an O-lineman, man. He's a big dude. And he's, you know, 10, 12 years younger than Murray. And he started uh, mentoring Murray on waterfowl hunting and all kinds of other things. And so as we went on, I, I, it's a long story short, I did write this the story of Norton and, uh, Norton, Jordan and Murray for Modern Huntsman. So Volume 9 of Modern Huntsman has this entire story in it, um, if you want to read it. And basically what we came through all of this is like, what kind of mentoring are we all about? And we went back to that original Juan Carlos example where he just needed, he didn't need to learn to hunt online. He didn't need to listen to a podcast and tell someone, have himself to be told how to hunt. He needed to meet somebody that was where he was locally that was willing to commit long-term to him to teach him. And so that's really what was, how this was born. And so that's what we've committed to as our mission, uh, which is, is just create successful long-term local mentorship through these chapters. Uh, we don't really have a national platform. We have a bunch of chapters um, that we're going to be doing a lot of work on. So, so that's, that's where we are right now. We launched our website here a couple months ago. Um, we have California, Wisconsin are taking off like crazy. We have um, over 1200 people in Wisconsin and California and just about that many in Wisconsin. Um, we have 25 active mentorships in California. People that are being mentored and doing mentorships are just coming out of the woodwork from San Francisco and LA and all these different places. Um, and so it's been, it's been great to see, to see it come, come to this point. I mean, we, it is organic as possible. There's been no money put into it except for uh, money coming from it, the members and the people that care about it. And, um, and we've been able to do to do plenty with with what they've the time and money and energy they've put into it. So yeah, we're we're looking to grow it, but man, I'm I'm super happy about where it is today. Yeah, no, that's <clears throat> that's incredible, Ben. I mean, the you know, the origin story with with something as simple as as an email, right? Like, hey, how can how can I learn to hunt? Right? I mean, because there's yeah a slew of podcasts out there that you know, the how to type stuff or, you know, tips and tactics and gear. And, you know, there's, there's dozens and dozens of those. And, but there, you can't replace real world experience. You can't replace, you know, just getting out there, learning from someone, um, to, to really, I think, have an understanding of it. And, uh, what you, what, what you've created and, and your members and your volunteers, I mean, is, is awesome. And that's, that was one of the reasons why, <clears throat> you know, I'd reached out and I wanted to, to learn more about the hunt in common because, you know, I've talked to, you know, a ton of people over the past couple of years through the podcast and, uh, kind of a reoccurring theme has been mentorship. And I just think that, you know, individuals who are willing to kind of set aside their goals, you know, from, you know, whether it's harvesting a, an antelope or a buck or a turkey or whatever the case is to teach someone what they know about the outdoors, what they know about hunting and, and kind of turn them on to that lifestyle um, is huge. And I think it, it speaks volumes to the type of people and the character of those who are, are volunteering and giving their time for that because it's, you know, they're taking time away from what they love to do to teach someone else what they love to do. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's, there's, there's a lot of, I want to say maybe paradoxical things that come up in the broad idea of hunting recruitment, right? Because, and also just kind of, the idea that 
we need to promote hunting in the greater society. It needs to be societally acceptable to go hunt. And there's these, these cultural divides and, and a lot of things that, that present those challenges. And I've thought about this a long time and talked to a lot of people way smarter than me about, about this. And what I came to was because there's this paradox of the more you promote hunting, the more hunters there are. And there's not a carrying test in any country, let alone this one, um, to have, any real percentage of our population actually hunting. We don't have the wildlife. We don't have the, the space for it. We, we just don't, as we promote hunting, we know that if we get over a certain percentage of our population doing it, we may, that may be the end of, of the activity itself. So it's a paradox to promote hunting in a world where you know, it's not for it. Everyone can't participate. Right. Enough resources for that. Um, and so that's, that's a, that's a struggle. I think everybody goes through some people, fall on the line of like, we're not going to promote it. Uh, or we're only going to promote it to our friends and family. We're only going to promote it to people around us. Some people say, Hey, I fall on this side of, of the coin. I think it's, I'm kind of an evangelist for hunting because I've seen what it does for people. I've seen dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of people whose lives were changed uh, because they got into hunting later in their lives or, or even as, even as a teenager or into college or wh- however they came to it. So there is some, there's some problems there that we've got to be honest about. Um, and the, I've thought about it a lot and this was something that came from the people that I was interacting with through the content I was creating that they, they wanted to hunt and they, they had to have somebody to show them. They had to, like, there's really no other option when it comes to long-term learning and you're not going to get that long-term learning from a field of work weekend or from a podcast, as you mentioned, or from a, you're just not going to get what you need. Um, and there has to be somebody near you that's willing to commit a lot of time to you and is willing to put up with your crap <laughs> and, <laughs> and vice versa. We had to, and that's, that's what we hope to be able to do. We hope to be able to one, provide a platform for people to connect. Um, that's, that's important to, 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 to go to this thing that says like, go to your state and here is 500 people from your state that care about this. Introduce yourself. And these people are, are there to help you can't promise something's going to happen right away, but this is a, this is a place where people are, are willing to help. That's why everyone's here. And then from that point, as we grow as an organization, we really want to understand and be able to, to kind of break down what makes a mentor and mentee fit, what makes it a long-term relationship, what makes it a successful relationship. And that's kind of why in our mission, we made sure to say successful mentorship because not only do we want to connect people, but we want to find a way to to increase the percent of, of successful mentorships that we have by putting people together in, in a way that makes sense and giving them kind of a community around what they do to keep them excited and energized about it. So there's a lot of levels to that. Um, but we, so far, you know, we've had just this fall, we got 20, 25 mentorships active. Uh, in California, and we were discussing last night amongst ourselves kind of how many of those actually got out in the field, how many of those just talked on the phone, how many of those just recommended a few books back and forth, how many of those. And so we're, we're starting the process of really breaking down these mentorships on scale and determining, like, what are the roadblocks that are happening that we can identify where we can smooth those things out for people to give them a chance not only to get mentors, but to find somebody or to find a group of people that are going to help them and it's not one size fits all but we're hoping to, to learn enough through doing this across the country you know that we can provide some some 
way that that people can at least trust us that we know enough about mentorship and enough about the pitfalls of it that we can help um, you know kick some of those roadblocks down and, and give them a little bit of an easier chance and to spin that all the way back to hunter recruitment i feel like that's the best way to recruit a hunter not to recruit him by saying like you're going to get food or you're going to get or you're going to be in shape or you're there there's a myriad of things that that i think hunting does to help people in their lives but more you're going to connect with somebody that's like you um or understands you and you're going to be able to go do something really fun and learn um and man i can't tell you how many stories we already have of people that have done that and it's changed them changed their entire family's outlook on things we have We've had people move from their current situation into a new one to do hunting. Um, and there's so many stories that that's the kind of thing that gets me going when I hear another story about somebody that was able to, you know, change, change their perspective on some things through this. So um, it's fun. Like I said earlier on, it's a personal thing. I get to see it from a personal level. We're not trying to change the world with this organization we're trying not not trying to make it some huge organization tomorrow we're taking it slow on purpose we, we don't want to overextend ourselves or over promise you know so we're, we're taking it very slow and and trying to you know learn as much as we can so we can you know have a broader solution over time yeah so <clears throat> how are you i guess i don't know if vetting is the right word but you know how are are you determining you know, who you guys feel would be a good mentor? Because obviously I'm sure there's a ton of people who, you know, would write in or, or you know, get in contact with you and say, yeah, I, I want a mentor. And, you know, I've been hunting for this long and, you know, this is kind of my background, but, you know, is it kind of just a, a collective group decision where you say, you know, where, whether you all, you know, have a chance to speak with, with uh, the mentor and say, okay, this person seems to have, you know, whether it's the right background, the right personality, um, you know, because that can be, I'd imagine, a tricky part of, of trying to, you know, connect people is, is making sure that you think that that's going to be a good fit with the with the potential mentee. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that uh, last night for quite a while. That is that is really what we're finding is the crux of the situation. We we understand uh, that we're kind of in this learning. I've been you know really forcing our guys to understand like we're in this learning process right now. We got to learn what we don't know. And we have to, through every mentorship connection that we help to facilitate, we really got to talk to those people and see what worked and what didn't. You know, and, and as we, you know, as we build our digital products and things that we want to provide to people, we certainly want to make sure there's background checks and liability waivers and all those things. Those things are part of what we're developing on a broader scale as we grow. Um, but right now, it's really just an analog Somebody on our chapter page says, I need a hunter, or I mean, I need a mentor. I need, I'm willing to mentor. And then someone, um, one of our chapters steps in and goes, well, here's 10 people I know in your area. Let's, let's talk about what you're looking for. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to match you up. Okay. Um, and it, like, that's so imperfect. Um, but we are a year and a half old, or really less than a year old in terms of our 501 three. So we, I've been really forcing our guys to do it that way because that's the way we're going to learn what we're doing. Yeah. And, and mentorship, again, we go back to like this idea on the grander scale that how do we, how, how are we going to scale something like this? You know, how's it going to grow? Um, and I really do believe that because we have, because we focus on each state chapter and we, we can solve the problems that exist in each state, right? So our first two states, 
that we're kind of in beta right now trying to figure out how to really structure them to win in the long term is Wisconsin and California. California has ridiculously different problems than Wisconsin. California is a huge place. Right. And so the challenge in California is everybody's so far away from each other. <laughs> and so California needs probably sub-chapters within the chapter, where Wisconsin feels like there's enough, you know, it's not a big state too, but it feels like there's enough willingness for those people to travel around and to congregate in different places that doesn't feel like it needs that, at least now. At least for so we really do believe that, that by taking it state by state, by growing it in those individual places, I would much rather have 15 manageable mentorships that we can really help along in a state than 150 that we can't name. Right. And the way that we want to scale it is just by adding states to where we are. And so I preach it a lot of times to our guys. We're, we're, right now we're a Cal- California, Wisconsin state. We have 38 other leaders out there building their chapters up. Um, and as they come online and we feel like they're ready to intake um, people from their state that want to hunt, and we'll add that. But we're, we're taking it slowly, and we just want to kind of learn and compile. And, and the thing that you brought up is the major issue, like matching people up, making sure um, they feel like we've added, you know, added something to the process, giving them a leg up and finding somebody that, that's going to work for them. So it's a difficult process. I don't hate – I've had people say, like, create an algorithm, and then just, you know, it'll be farmersonly.com or whatever. <laughs> I was like, man, that's the last thing that I want. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to connect people via an algorithm on some website we create. Um, yeah, I really want to keep it personal, and I want to scale it from the personal level on up through each state. And we're gonna gonna take that slowly. So we're committed to the mission. And man, these guys have hung with me for over a year now, and they're still as passionate as ever. And, and nobody's made a dime. And, uh, it's not looking like we will anytime soon. Um, and it's all just going right back into this idea that uh, we have, there's something here, you know, there's some energy here that, that all of us feel and, and are proud of. Yeah. Well, you make a good point there with, <clears throat> excuse me, with kind of keeping things analog, right? I mean, in a digital world that we are in anymore, hunting is one of those things that it's not digital right? Like it's, you got to be in it. You've, you have to be in person to do it. So to, to take that approach and to, you know, kind of stick to your guns with that approach, I think is a great way to do it. Um, because so much gets lost in translation through emails and text messages and things like that. And, you know, like, I mean, I've, I've heard you talk about nuance, you know, a dozen times, if not more in the past. And, you know, those, those nuanced things of, of hunting in the outdoors, I mean, you can't get those, through a text exchange or through an email or a podcast or, or whatever the case is. So to keep things, you know, as you put it, analog, I think is a, is a great approach to it. Yeah. I mean, it just feels right too. Um, I think I've learned a lot. I, I've been part of companies that grew like crazy, you know, over the last couple of my experience professionally, I would I feel like it's just sometimes the way that corporations view growth is, is oxymoronic. We have to grow to grow, right? You got to grow because we got to grow. <laughs> like, okay. But what really, with a nonprofit and with these people so committed to these ideas, I feel almost 
obligated to slow it down, to get it right, and to learn and to become an expert personally, but also to, to have experts on the ground in these states in what mentorship really is, what people's real problems are. And as I said earlier, that we're not going to learn that through an algorithm. We're not going to learn that through creating some fancy website where people can talk to each other on a message board. Like we're not, that's, we're going to try to do that, but that's not the kind of, we're not a, a website nonprofit, a digital product nonprofit. We're about connecting people. And um, I want to, I want to field, you know, 50 or 60 across this country, 50 or 60 real experts in mentorship that have seen the pitfalls, that have seen the successes. Um, and we already have, uh, I'll try to pull up here, our California chapter lead, which is, is Nuri, who I mentioned. He took us through a PowerPoint last night uh, of all the all his data he's compiled. He's, he's way smarter than it than all of us. <laughs> all the data that he's compiled uh, over time. Here it is over time um, with California. And so he as he has a, a program stats where he's looked at you know over time they've had about fifty pairings uh, over the last year and a half roughly. And they, they've had this fall winter, 43% of their pairings have been organized by us. But there's been 56% of their pairings that have been organized organically through our social media. People meet there, and they go hunting. Um, there, there's been a bunch of other success numbers that they've rolled out. Um, they've had 63% of their mentorship get into the field, actually, which means a portion of them never went hunting together. Um, they've had 20% uh, have a kill, and they've had around 94% make contact and do something for them. Okay. So this is a part, you know, really a part of our learning. Like we just want to know how many people get there because you can imagine what the barriers to entry are, right? Time, uh, just people getting on the same page and, yeah. and figuring out what they want to do. People have life events that happen, money, uh, family issues, whatever that that, that put a, put a stop to membership itself. Uh, so we're yeah we're really just committed to to that exact type of learning and breaking things down. You know when I'm giving you those percentages, that's 30, 40 mentorships. That's not thousands of mentorships. Right. We like the fact that we're doing it that way, um, and hopefully can learn about those communities. Um, and, and the rest of it is just the inspiring part of it is the stories that come out of it. We've had, we had a, um, a young mother, she's, you know, she's in her thirties, I believe her name's Roberta. And she has a son. Uh, she's a single mother. She wanted to learn to hunt so she could take her son out. In the, out in the woods. And her story about just deciding to do it out of nowhere. She you know, lives in California, doesn't have any family that hunts, doesn't have a, out of nowhere, she decides hunting is going to be the thing that I'm going to help teach. So she gets with us. She gets mentored a little bit. It doesn't take long until she's mentoring other females in, in California and also taking her son out. But she's, I think probably unbeknownst to her, she came into it for her son, but then found for herself this important thing that she never knew was there. Um, and so now she's a huge part of our California chapter, and they have their own women's group that meets and, and talks about hunting and does things. So... Um, mentorship happens at many levels and it doesn't, you don't have to be an expert hunter to mentor someone. Yeah. All you got to do is show them what you know. Uh, how, how much you know is, is not important to us. It's just 
you know the type of person that you are and the, and the commitment you have to it. so it's been cool to kind of break down this stuff and try to learn um, and we're, we've got nothing but time to learn and we'll come out of this fall with kind of a really good look at those two states I mentioned to learning about how the successes and failures of, of all the, the things that they've put together and um, yeah everything's new yeah you brought up a couple <clears throat> good points over the last couple of minutes the you know with connecting these people and you know the the mentors and the mentees and and trying to build that relationship that lasting relationship i think those are the things that it's got to be hard to really quantify in in the long run right like what the the impact that that has on on you know both the mentor and the mentee because you, you know you're you're connecting people and you're kind of essentially helping them forge this connection or, or forge this this bond in this relationship. And those are the things that are going to last forever. I mean, because, you know, 20 years from now, you know, maybe they just don't have the time. Maybe physically they're just not able to get out into the field as much, but they have that friendship, right? They have that common ground. They have someone who they can lean on for, I'd imagine that far down the road, anything that comes up, right? And in this day and age with everything being so digital, as we just talked about, it's hard to make those connections anymore and to, to have a place that uses the outdoors, which I, I absolutely love to make those connections um, is it, it's it's right on so many levels. And it's such a, a great way to to approach building friendships and relationships, you know, for the long term. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been involved in things with state agencies and, and conversations with kind of like the broader complex of, of wildlife management and learned a lot about R3, which is kind of this very, I mean, it's a governmental <laughs> program to, to uh, recruit, retain and reactivate hunters. And it's great. And there's a lot of money on state levels to do things. Mm-hmm. Take, and it, and then I work with brands and, and just in the industry, I've worked with almost, every conservation organization you can think of. And all of those folks have adult mentorship, uh, youth mentorship programs. So we're not, I'm, I think we're coming into an age where this is, this is happening. You know, I, when I first got in the industry, I probably wasn't looking around because I was worried about all the cool trips I got to go on. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it just didn't feel like that was, it, it was a thing. And, and, and as we, as I've looked around the industry since we started this. There is there's a bunch of organizations that are doing what we're doing at some level, you know. So I really do hope over time that we can build a coalition of people that are thinking about mentorship at different stages of and different tactics and different stages of what it is. Because you have uh, groups like Hunters of Color who is, is doing it in a completely different way than we're doing it with a completely different set of goals and, and stated things that they want to do. But it's still mentorship, it's still bringing people in, it's still giving them a personal experience uh, of mentorship, not some. I mean, I think there's there's certainly a place for learning online, you know, a place to pay four ninety nine and learn how to duck call or whatever it might be. I think it's a huge part of it. But for us, it's more what well, we hope to teach people. If we were to create an e learning platform on our website, which we've been discussing, if we were going to do that, we would teach people how to lead, teach people how to teach, teach people how to, to be open to, and to, to be a mentor. What is that? Like, what, what is, what are you hoping to achieve as a mentor? 
what can you do for a mentee? Like, what is what is that thing? Um, and so that's what we hope to do. We're never going to teach everybody how to how to hunt. Like that that is an impossible idea. Right. And as I've ingested a lot of this content around teaching people to hunt, you're basically teaching people how you hunt, um, and that's very valuable. I work with a lot of companies, and I'm sitting in my studio. It's called the Outdoor Class Studio. It's like a new e-learning platform where you yep. learn from Randy Newberg and Remy Warren. I love that stuff. That has a huge place in our world. But I think where we fit in is, is we want to teach people how to, to make a successful mentorship. Not a mentorship, but one that succeeds over a long term. You know, the programs that we're, we're building now that will launch at some point are six months to a year long that, that have stages that don't just include taking a guy hunting, but include reading a book together or learning about our model of conservation together. Or reading, you know, not only taking hunter safety, but having a thing where you, you look at the regulations and, and think about what your state does differently than other states uh, and really learn about the natural history of the animal that you're about to do. So, um, that's, you know, we feel like that's, it's holistic that way. But again, I'll say there's so many organizations that are, that are working on this problem. It's been really cool to find those as we've been doing this and realize that, man, we're not alone. Um, there's so many people that are thinking about this. Yeah, you mentioned someone like Outdoor Class, who's proud partner of the Average Conservationist podcast as well. But like there, oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. Um, but uh, a platform like that, I think is 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 incredible as well. But I almost feel like that's kind of like the next step, right? Like after you know the you know what the Hunt and Common is doing, and you know giving giving new hunters uh, and new mentees a foundation, right, a place to start, right, and then once you you feel like you've obtained some level of, of understanding and learning of hunting and the process and all that, well, then you can, you know, take that next step and really, you know, take a, a, a much deeper dive into, you know, things that, you know, guys like you said, Randy and Remy and, you know, that, that they've acquired over their, you know, lifetime of, of spending it in the outdoors. And, you know, because if you took, you know, someone who has been hunting for maybe a year, right. Or, or something like that, they're very early on in their journey and you stuck them in front of one of those videos it is some of it may just go right over their head, right? They just may not be able to fully digest what it is that, that they're conveying. So you have to have that, that baseline and the hunt in common is a, is a great place to, to get that. Yeah, we hope so, you know, and, and we hope that, um, there's so many things that, you know, that I'm doing right now that, that address this problem on those levels too. You know, like the, you realize there's a million ways to solve this issue and to understand it. Um, but this is, the hunt in common is the thing that feels the most right to me. It doesn't, that doesn't make it right overall, but it feels it feels right when we hear this. Uh, you know that we have a, a fifty year old, fifty four year old uh, female divorce attorney from San Francisco that won a rabbit hunt. She's never hunted before. She joined our live uh, launch on Crowdcast and won a raffle for a rabbit hunt with my friend Charles Rodney, and she's never hunted before. But she inherited a family property outside of outside of the city, and she wants to go. And so now, unbeknownst to her, she's going to go and get like the coolest hunting experience that I I've ever had, which is I was hunting with my buddy Carl on the Maryland's Eastern Shore for rabbits. You know, it, it, that's enough for me. Like, if we never grew any more than what we have to this point, like those stories are enough for me because I do believe. And I've seen this, and I know it to be true. 
like the amount of bravery it takes to, and it's just, I'm not, that's not hyperbolic. Like it takes bravery to somebody like Nuri Hong, who has no history of hunting, lives in a society. Nuri had to create a dummy profile. It was an emergent hunter. He had to create like a secret profile online to talk to people about. That's real. He really did that. Uh, because his family, his friends, his social circle would have would have disowned him had they found out in the early days of his expiration of hunting that he wanted to do this. Like the social pressures in LA are so Oh yeah. There's so there's so much pressure to, to conform socially that he had to create a burner account to talk <laughs> about hunting to people. And that's so to me, like that those personal stories of him being able to break away from that, those the change of conformity in his social circle, go do something, realize he was going to do it for the rest of his life, and then bring his family along. Since then, they've accepted what he wants to do. They cheer him on. Um, I think they probably eat some of the duck breast he brings back home here and there. But he's been able to break through this thing that I've really wanted to figure out for a long time, which is how do you how do you answer the question of is hunting a societal good? In the modern sense, hunting a societal good, right? right. You don't, we can say like, if you, it's good uh, for wildlife. We can prove all those things out. But most people, I think, non-hunters at least, are saying like, is this still good? Like, are we still doing the right thing? Um, most of them, if you would pull them, agree with hunting for food. Most of them don't agree with hunting for predators. You know? So you, we have these like different shades of gray within that question of is hunting a societal good? And uh, somebody like Nuri, who's broken through whatever barriers he had to, and has made a has made a go of it. And so those, to me, those personal stories are what will keep me going. Um, and if we if we ever get to a point where we can um, sit back and look at a broader change that we've created, then great, fine. Um, but those personal stories are are what really means something to me. Yeah, and I think with your kind of you, the two states that you're launching in, you know, they're they're great, uh, you know, call them test states because you have a state like California that has these, you know, huge pockets like you just talked about of, of L.A. and these these, you know, kind of societal norms that people are kind of forced to conform to of, you know, not hunting and, and things like that. Or it's 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 not maybe the, the right way of life for for living in that area. Then you take a state like Wisconsin, you know, the Midwest, I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm in Michigan here. So like the, the tradition, the, the history behind hunting and what that means. Um, I mean, it's almost like a way of life for a lot of people, you know, especially like, you know, I grew up in a small rural town in Michigan and that was just, that was just what you did. You know, when I was 12, I took hunter safety because that was what you did. And you know, like all these things. And so it's, it's very interesting to take kind of, from a, a state standpoint, two polar opposites, right? Like a, a from a demographic standpoint, from um, uh, you know, a, probably a number standpoint. I mean, California obviously is one of our largest states, so it's going to have you know just a higher in a higher number of people. But I would imagine that the the per capita the number is much higher in Wisconsin than it is in California. Yeah, that's it too. And we've seen um, in those two states, we've seen people do things completely different in terms mm-hmm. of how they organize. California likes happy hours for whatever reason. What's drunk so uh, You're also talking about Wisconsin like, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like Wisconsin are just drinking beer all the time. There's no need for like an hour. Like 
You don't have to be like, let's just put aside an hour. For <laughs> but, you know, in, in sorry, you're great. Love you. Um, but like it, it in California, it feels it feels like there's a bunch of professionals and like they need to set aside time and that time has to be local because you can't drive four hours there. Gas right. prices like six bucks a gallon right now. Yeah. Um, here, and that's a whole nother podcast. But that, that there's just different challenges there. And what we've seen in Wisconsin is people, the folks that have been organizing there, have been organizing around, you know, your traditional kind of banquet gatherings, your traditional kind of, yeah, we have a, a chapter squirrel hunt that's going on here in, I think, maybe next week. Um, and there's a, so there's so many things we're, we're doing. We're working with uh, Doug Duran's Sharing the Land organization to do some landowner work for hunting access there. We've already done one of those, which is very successful. Um, and so we've learned that we just learned that each state, each community that grows is going to grow its own way. You can't, they're learning, Wisconsin is learning from California and vice versa. Um, but they're still going to do it the way they do it. Yeah. They're still going to as the way they organize and they're still going to have different things that they gather around and, and different ways that they want to gather. Um, and so that's, that's really why we, we took a step back and said, look, we could launch with 41 states. We have people in other states that are really doing awesome things and not to belittle the work they've done already. And we couldn't do what we're doing without them. Um, but we want to kind of create the model and it's going to be a loose model because of what I just mentioned and then help each state come along in a way that is, is, like, can feel organic, doesn't feel like we're just microwaving it down to whatever we, we think it needs to be. So we're, you know, we have a goal to, to, to maybe have five states by the end of this year and then 15 by the end of next year. Um, we're going to take it slow. And so if you're listening and you're interested and you're not in Wisconsin or California, we're just looking for people to help lead those other states. And um, We're building a, a leadership team and a mentorship committee in each state that we have so we have support. Everybody's a volunteer. So some people take on a new job and get busy and have to step away for a month or, you know, there's a lot of dynamics in, in, in that volunteer work. So we're just trying to give everybody enough support to feel like the biggest thing that I, I have been stressed about, worried about with this is that somebody comes up and says, I want to hunt and we drop the ball or, yeah. you know, I need help and we drop the ball. Cause then we become a, de- a detriment to um, the hunting community just turning off new hunters left and right by not being able to give them what they um what they need so that was my big the other big stress was announcing this and talking about it but we just had to be honest like we're going to grow and if you want to come if you think there should be a chapter in your state we probably have somebody there already we can use your help and if you're in california wisconsin we we have a pretty good structure to help you right now um and that's you know that's kind of where we are and, and we're focused on kind of the honesty of that and, and hopefully people can can jump in and, and meet us where we are because that's that's important too yeah yeah no it's <clears throat> I, I like i said i i was super excited to learn more about this and <clears throat> you know the the approach that that you and the team are taking um i think is certainly the right one because you know you want to take it like you said take it slow make sure you get it right because yeah, let's say you you try to grow way too fast or scale it way too fast, and then, like you said, you're you're dropping the ball or you're not giving those mentees the the proper attention they deserve when it comes to to getting them involved. And then, you know, two or three years down the road, you're looking back and you, you're 
you see a lot of missed opportunities, right? Or you see a lot of things you could have done differently because you were focused on maybe the wrong things to start with and, and focusing on, you know, a, a smaller scale with, you know, two states to, to really get a true understanding because it's, you only get to make that first impression one time and you want to, when someone learns about it, you know, for the first time, you want them to, to have all the right information and all of these success stories so that they feel confident to, to reach out and, you know, want to learn how to hunt. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, it's been, we're going to continue doing uh, crowdcast events, which is it's kind of like a live streaming platform where we can answer questions and talk about our successes and things like that. We, did a launch party in, in August and had over 300 people join us and raised thousands of dollars. I can't remember the number, but it was more than I thought we would ever raise um, during the event. Uh, it shocked me. This thing has shocked me every step of the way. With the amount of people and the amount of passion people bring to it and kind of things that they that they would allow that I just, when I say allow, uh, an example would be I have a friend who is an animal rights ethicist in California named Robert C. Jones. He's a professor of animal rights, basically, about, about uh, at Chico State University. So he, like, he didn't like hunting. He doesn't want me to go hunting. He wants all the animals to play in a field and be happy. <laughs> uh, and, and so I just love his he, – he makes me better. That dude, like, we, we did an eight-hour podcast series called Hunter and Vegan. It's, like, the coolest thing I've ever done. Uh, not the most listened to thing I've ever done. But the coolest thing I've ever um, and he makes me better. And when on the launch party, I was like, I really want to have Robert on, and he agreed to come on and just answer questions and have like a nice dialogue with him. There, he's a vegan, um, he's an animal rights guy. And about halfway, a couple of days before the event, I got really, I was like, how am I having this vegan animal rights guy at the launch party for my hunting organization? Yeah, this is probably a stupid idea. Like, this is probably, I'm probably taking this too far. Like, I, I need to pull this back. There's going to be a lot of people that don't know me or don't know us. How can I just throw an animal rights guy into the mix yeah. right away? Drop a grenade on it. Yeah, it's just kind of, this is, this is weird. Like, what am I doing? But I decided after a while, like, I'm just going to keep it. Because I do, I do, I believe that Robert brings something really, really great to the table and the questions that he asks. And he forces people to answer those questions for themselves before they jump into the thing that's really complicated. And um, I had him on, and man, it was the coolest thing ever. We were we spent about 15 minutes talking, and we had they have a little comment stream that goes down the side there as they live streaming, and all these comments and thanking him for coming on, and thanking him for being a part of our group, and thanking him for pushing us to be better at what we do, and answering you know, all these people now that are new hunters are now having to answer those questions as, as they get going. Because as an adult, I think you have to answer those questions anyway. Right. Like, why hunt? Do you like killing? Then you just go to the grocery store. Like, these questions that Robert's asked are questions I think that are deep down in there anyway. Um, and he's forcing those folks to answer those things. But yeah, I was, <laughs> to say, suffice to say, I was super nervous about that. Cause I thought, man, maybe I'm, I'm wrong about this, but, Turns out I wasn't, and and um, it went really well. But it's just those types of things. Those folks allow um, our folks really allow that kind of experimentation. There isn't this cultural pressure to be one political way or to be one, you know, I- ideological way. I mean, we 
have people from all different spectrums and uh, we had you know very right-wing people that were commenting and laughing and having fun with animal rights guys so that that felt like (laughs) some validation of what we were doing but still weird i still think it's probably weird that we do it that way but i think it's good though i mean to to have kind of opposing viewpoints in in a setting like that i think is good because in this day and age and without getting too political right like depending upon which side of which side of the aisle you fall on you know the the media that you're consuming is probably geared towards that side you know whatever side that is and i think that you know if you look at far right far left it's you know the 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 vocal majority it's probably you know 10% on either end and then you know the other 80% lies somewhere in the middle right they you know they you know lean left with this you know idea or lean right with this idea and the more information i think that people have that isn't necessarily in line with what maybe they believe is a good thing right because it allows them to open up and expand their their ways of thinking and understand viewpoints from from other you know from other sides from other people and it helps really like you said answer a lot of those questions that are deep down inside that sometimes i think in order to really buy in from a personal level you have to vocalize those those reasonings you have to you have to get it out and if you don't sometimes it's uh it's easy to just stay on in in your side of things and just kind of not be open to those other viewpoints right man we get a lot of people that were I think it's like Rogan, Joe Rogan famously said this, but like we get a lot of people that say, I was either going to be a vegan or a hunter. Like, I was either going to go one way or the other. <laughs> I was like, but I'm not going to, like I want out of this food system and I'm not, it's not helping me mentally, physically. I'm going to go one way or the other, yeah. but I'm going to go. And, and so we have, there's a lot of folks in our group that, that feel like that. And um, man, you know, I'm proud of, I'm proud of them for, for allowing that and, and for, for being there for it and asking questions and being open and being excited, really. I mean, that was that was kind of the. I felt really good for Robert too. It takes a little courage to jump into that. I I have also, I've been on like live streams with animal rights groups where they grill me about hunting, um, and I really do feel like that makes you better if you truly really, truly do believe in hunting the way that I do. You gotta get in and get get to a place where somebody's gonna question it because if there's no one questioning your beliefs in your life. In a, in a constructive way, of course. Like, yeah. it's a very grass and gray place to live. Like, if, if you're if you're surrounding yourself with one ideology, with one political party, and that's all that you do online, that's all you do in your life, like, it's just not, it's just gray and drab, and it's like, it's not, there's nothing exciting about that. You're just reaffirming the things that you already think you believe, and then you're just attaching yourself, your personal identity to those beliefs, and that spirals into this really negative uh, worldview. And for, for me, having somebody like Robert around and having uh, thousands of people in this nonprofit that are willing to, to hear those ideas makes it more colorful, makes life, makes your, your beliefs more stringent, makes, it makes the things you think you believe, either they fall apart under questioning <laughs> or they, um, for me, they become more hardened. I believe I'm more of an evangelist for hunting than I was you know, even last year, the year before that, or 15 years ago. So, um, and because uh, I've tested those beliefs against, you know, some pretty gnarly individuals uh, that I thought might pour a bucket of blood on my head at some point. <laughs> Never happened. 
one. But yeah, I mean that's so that that part of it I think is cool, and the rest of it's just really normal things that that I think all humans want, which is community and connection and somebody to share this stuff with. I do like hunting alone. I hunt for elk alone a lot because I just think it allows me to to be more successful and I don't have to ask anybody if they want to go down over the hill or not. I just go. Um, but like that only goes so far. So I try to make sure I have a mix of mentorships. I have a mix of, um, all kinds of things in my life when it comes to hunting. It's different experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's certainly key to, uh, I think being successful and, <clears throat> and just, uh, really enjoying everything. Ben, before I let you get out of here, man, where can people learn more about the hunt in common and, uh, you know, get involved if, if they feel that that is something for them? Yeah. So our, uh, we just launched our new website, thehuntincommon.org. Um, so you can go there. There We have our Get Involved page. You can um, submit the form, and you can tell us whether you're a mentor or a men- need, uh, need mentoring or a mentee. Tell us where you are. Um, one of us will get back to you personally and talk to you a little bit about what that solution is. Um, we, we have a team of about a dozen people that are, that are feeling those. If you're in California, Wisconsin, you'll be prompted to go to our Facebook page and join that community and introduce yourself. Um, and you know, as I said, really right now, if you're not in one of those two States, we need leaders. We need people that, you know, want to help us in any way that we can in those other States to get, to get there. Um, and that's, you know, we're, we're in a wonderful position to, to be able to grow this thing and, and, so far after about a year and a half maybe a little bit less than that people have maintained passionate and we've only grown so we we appreciate any help we can get at this at this country awesome well ben thank you a ton for uh joining me today i really appreciate it uh i wish you nothing but continued success with uh the hunt in common and uh look forward to getting you back on here again in the future yeah thanks marcus appreciate what you do and and hopefully we can do this again soon yeah absolutely all right ben take care All right. Well, again, thank you to Ben for taking some time to join me today and to uh, kind of fill me in and and fill all you guys in about the uh, recently formed Hunt in Common. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, Outdoor Class, and of course, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also highly encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only positive conservation-driven content landing in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Stay tuned for not only next week, but the following week as well. uh, As we're doing um, something that uh, I'm really excited about. Um, We're doing, um, leading into Veterans Day, we're doing... Um, kind of a, a tribute to Veterans Day. Um, we're going to have a two-part episode um, with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Armed Forces Initiative, um, which is great. Two separate people from the organization coming on. A um, couple great conversations, um, ones that I think you guys are certainly going to enjoy. So until next week, stay safe out there, and remember that conservation starts with you. <laughs>